This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, Alex Ferrario, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Donnie Fandango and the homeboy Jamie Rivers, who is live right now in San Jose, California, a place I've never been, but I've heard it's absolutely lovely. Jamie, what's going on, my dude? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm just looking at my hotel room here. Beautiful sunshine, some palm trees. I mean, California life ain't too bad. Not too bad at all, it sounds like, man. So, okay, well, we got a lot of things to discuss. But the first thing that I just kind of wanted to get from you, man, is like, how, you know, this is your first year, full year, being on the ice, being the color guy for Bally Sports Midwest. And, you know, man, I know that you are really excited about it. I know that you are probably a little nervous, too. But how has it been going, man? I know that uh, that you're busy as hell, but I got to assume that you're enjoying the bejesus out of it. Yeah, this has been awesome. It's great. I mean, uh, it's as close as you can possibly come to kind of be back in the NHL. You know, we travel with the players and the same hotels and, you know, the nice dinners and, and then to be a part of the action too at home down between the benches is a cool vibe. It's, it's so weird. There's, there's two different vibes to it. One, when you're kind of up top on the road, you're looking down, you can kind of see the play a little bit more evolving because you're farther away. Mm-hmm. But when you're down between the benches, you miss certain things because you're, you're right down in the action, but what you pick up is the intensity of the game. You see things that are starting to happen through the emotions of the game. You see players that are kind of boiling over. You see players that are maybe you know, starting to feel it as far as confidence-wise. That's something you don't get when you're so far away, like way up in the box. So it's kind of cool. I get the best of both worlds. Absolutely so. You know, I I want to talk about the Blues here in a second, but there's a couple of other things that I want to mention before we get there. And I know that in the past that we have had conversations about coach, uh, former Blues coach Ken Hitchcock, who was inducted into the NHL Hall of Fame this year. Can you talk about your relationship with Hitch? Because I know that you think exceptionally highly of this man. Yeah, so Hitch and I go quite a ways back, and... It all started, I think it was during the 09 lockout, probably the 09 lockout where there were a bunch of guys kind of skating in town and, you know, everybody was unsure as to when the lockout would end, if it would end, and guys are trying to stay in shape, but they don't have a coach. Coaches aren't allowed to be involved. And so Ken Hitchcock gave me a call and he said, hey, look, He's like, I'm not asking you to go do this because I'm not allowed to be involved. But he said, there's an opportunity for you to get out and coach some NHL guys if you want that opportunity. Because he had known, like, I'd gotten away from the game. I started to do some skills coaching and things like that. And he was trying to kind of help me get my foot in the door by working with some of the NHL guys. And at the same time, I know he wanted his guys to have some coaching mm-hmm. rather than just skating around kind of aimlessly out there. And so I talked to Barrett Jackman, um, Alex Steen, Andy McDonald, like a bunch of guys, Alex Petrangelo, and they were like, yes, please come out, you know, run us through some drills. And I had obviously never coached any NHLers before, played with a lot of them, but didn't coach them. <laughs> right. So, <clears throat> so it was kind of cool for me because it was like just diving into the deep end. And, you know, nobody keeps you more humble than a pro athlete in their sport because if you, draw up a drill that's stupid or that doesn't make sense. They literally tell you this doesn't make sense. Right. Right. They're not going to do <laughs> so, it. Absolutely. 
so it's humbling. But it was great for me because it was a crash course in learning how to build a practice plan for NHLers. And then I would splash in skill days to where it wouldn't be the traditional practice. We'd focus in on certain skills to try and keep improving these players. And anyways, I, I coached them like four or five days a week through the lockout. And when the lockout was over, Hitch reached out to me and he said, hey, I need a favor from you. I said, sure. He goes, would you run training camp for me? And I was like, what? I was like, what? I'm like, you're the head coach. And he goes, we don't have time to screw around. He goes, I want to be able to watch every single aspect of my practices and of my squad, inner squad games. And when I'm on the ice, you see a fraction of it. When I'm up top, I get to see everything. Yeah. I said, I would love to run it. So myself and Sean Farrell, who is the video guy for the Blues for an extended period of time, uh, we we jumped on the ice. Actually, first things first, we get to the rink every morning and have a meeting with Hitch. And Hitch would go over the practice plan. And literally, he was giving us their forecheck, defensive zone coverage, and we were teaching it to the team. Wow. So it was wild because I was I was the head coach yeah. at that point. And it was, it was so much fun. I loved it. <clears throat> the meetings with Hitch were incredible it was like having it was like having google sitting next to you (laughs) as far as hockey coaches are concerned and you know for the first couple days you're like just do whatever hitch says just do whatever hitch says and then like i've been working with these guys and obviously i played a long time in the nhl i start pushing back on some of his drills yeah i'm like i don't like the design of that i don't i don't see how it makes sense it's not that, that, that situation will never happen in a game. And he'd kind of look at me. He goes, and he'd say, well, how would you do it then? And I'd draw it up, and he goes, you know what? That makes sense. Let's do it your way. That's really <laughs> so great. It was wild. And then there were times where mid-practice, I didn't want to do something Hitch had written down, so I'd change it and do something different. <laughs> and he'd always kind of buzz me after that and be like, really, huh? Just changing things around. <laughs> But it was great because we got to do that. And, and then obviously the relationship with Hitch blossomed from there. And um, anytime I had a coaching question or anything to do with the business, I'd shoot him a phone call and he'd always answer and talk and give me the best advice he could. Wow, man. That's, that's pretty amazing to have that guy kind of as your, as your Google in your back pocket, you know? It's, un- it's unreal. <laughs> the guy is a hockey encyclopedia and you know, he's forgotten more about hockey than I'll ever know. <laughs> and so it was awesome. And he was so patient. He was so awesome. It's like he, he could tell that I wanted to do this and that, you know, I was working hard. And, you know, he could tell that this is something I would like to do. Dude, that's fantastic. Now, one, you know, talk to me about, you know, towards the end of Hitch's run here, there was, you know, I mean, I think it was fairly common knowledge that he ran the players very hard. And eventually it sort of, rubbed them the wrong way. Can you kind of, Jamie, talk about that for a little bit from maybe both perspectives, since I think you could see the coach side, and then you could also see the player getting annoyed with the coach side a little bit. Yeah, so <clears throat> Hitch Hitch was tough to play for. He was a details guy, and no matter what you did, it never was enough. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that, make, that, just, that makes it sound like he's a horrible human being. He's not. That team at that time needed to be pushed. They needed a leader. They needed someone who was not going to take any crap, was not going to bend or break. And that was Hitch. 
and he turned the franchise around. Yeah. I mean, think of how bad the team was 06, 07, 07, 08, right up until the hitch came here. And then things changed quickly. Now, where Hitch goes, where he kind of veers off the course a little bit, is that Hitch has never played 82 games in the NHL. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what it feels like for your body and doesn't know mentally the grind you go through in January and February. You can think you know and you can think you can be experienced, but unless you've lived it, it's very tough to fully understand. Yeah. And so Hitch would still keep, you know, his foot on the gas on days where guys needed rest. They needed days off and Hitch would make guys go to the rink. And it's like, he's like, I didn't want them to fall out of routine. I didn't want them to, you know, have a day where they just forget about hockey. And that's the part where he just didn't get that. Sometimes you need to just say, Hey, guess what today? I'm not even going to think about hockey. And then tomorrow I'm going to come to the rink refreshed and ready to go. Yeah. Just that that balance. Yeah. And that just wasn't in Hitch's makeup. Uh, I think he tried at times, but you know, after a while it just didn't work. And I think some of the players were just getting physically and mentally exhausted. Yeah. Now I didn't play for the team at the time, close with a lot of the players who did play at the time. And they loved Hitch dearly, but just that he needed to back off the throttle at certain times. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, as somebody that um, <clears throat> runs a little hot from time to time, uh, I understand that, you know, sometimes you got to take the foot off the gas or people are going to strangle you. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just kind of how yeah. it goes. So that, I mean, that that makes a world of sense. But he, man, I'll tell you what, and, and you kind of spoke to it a little bit. When Hitch, when, he, when Hitch got named head coach, and very shortly after, even as a Blues fan, it felt different. The team felt different. The way that they were going about their business felt different, and you could tell. You know what I mean? So, like, it was just a, it like you say, it was a changing of the tide, and the Blues very much needed that direction at the time. And even as an outsider, I could see that, you know? Well, yeah. You had, See, <clears throat> what happened there for a little bit is you the coaching that you'd had here and the leadership. So you had Mike Keenan, which not a very popular individual. I get it. He's not popular with me either, but he was a well-known NHL coach who was coming off of a Stanley Cup championship with the Rangers. So you had a a leader in place. Then you fired him and you brought in Joel Quenville. And we know that Joel Quenville is one of the most successful coaches in NHL history, let alone Blues franchise history. So he had a great run here in St. Louis. Then you go to Mike Kitchen. Kitch was a great guy, very knowledgeable hockey wise. I just he never fully had the room. Mm-hmm. And so then you fired him and went to Andy Murray and nobody liked Andy Murray. <laughs> you just, it, the way he, he just, he wasn't, he's not made for the NHL game. Yeah, He's more of a school teacher type thing. So he'd be sliding assignments under your door, like on the road, you take a little, you hear a paper slide under your door. It's like an assignment on hockey. Oh, like, boy. what are we doing here? All like right. we got homework and if you didn't do the homework, like the next day, he'd pull that out of nowhere where we're going to go over the assignment. And it was like, it was weird. That I is, felt like it was like third grade again. Dude, that sounds weird. That doesn't even sound like college hockey. That sounds like high school hockey almost. It, it, yeah, kind of was. And I remember Bear Jackman and I were roommates. We were, I forget we were out on the road. And <laughs> Andy slid the paper. On, I was waiting for it. 
And he slid the paper under the door, and I slid it back out. <laughs> and then he slid it back under again, and I slid it back out. One more time, that thing comes in, and then I really slid it back out, like out into the hallway. And then it didn't come back in. That to me, had, that sounds like an all timer Jamie move. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jack's was like, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Right. Well, but but Jackman was probably like like super young at that time, too, and probably didn't want to mess with the coach, right? Well, no. Jax was, you know, this is a couple of years into Jax's career. Okay. He was he was fine with it. Just, you know, I know Keith Kachuk was on the team, Dallas Drake. Everybody hated it. And so we all kind of did the same thing. In fact, Keith Kachuk rolled up a towel and put it underneath the like the, the door so yeah the so you couldn't, couldn't slide in. anything yeah couldn't slide it underneath so <laughs> needless to say andy murray was relieved of his duties yeah. and then they went to davis Payne. Um, davis Payne had never really coached anywhere and he was younger than most of the players i think at the time or younger than and it was a weird vibe and that didn't last long so then you bring in ken hitchcock and that solidified it now you had a you know, an authority figure who's won a Stanley Cup. He's had massive success everywhere he's gone. Like, you fall in line pretty darn quickly. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, you know, as we're, you know, talking about coaches and things, and I know you've seen this too, and I talked about this before, but I loved, and I mean, it makes me smile thinking about the player's reaction to giving the 200-win puck to Craig Berube uh, a week or so ago. Every part of that video that the Blues sent out gave me chills. The way that the players looked genuinely excited for Coach Berube, the way the Chief just looked like his face was going to explode with smiles, and he's not that kind of guy that we see most of the time. It was just a really wonderful thing, and then also, too, I think it completely, without question, answers the, if these guys and this team is still playing for Coach Berube. They're all in. All in. Yeah, no, these guys love the coach. They do. Uh, and Craig Berube has you know, so much respect from the players. And the one thing that people can't forget is Craig Berube respects the players just as much. Yeah, You know, it's it's not a one-way street. Like, before it used to be the hard-nosed coach was, I don't care if you like me, you'll do what I say. And now it's not that Craig Berube cares if they like him or not, but he respects the players. He respects their ideas. He respects their opinions. They have talks. They discuss certain things. He doesn't necessarily listen to everything the players say because, you know, if you start listening to all those guys, you're really not the head coach anymore. Right. <clears throat> but he finds a way to make sure everybody's relevant on the team. He's a CEO is what it is. You know, the head coach in the NHL now is no longer that drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. The head coach in the NHL has to be a CEO. You have to know how to manage every department in your company and forward department, the defense department, the goalie department, your coaches department, your trainers department. Like that's what it is. So Craig Berube is an excellent CEO in hockey. Man, man, oh man. And then on top of it all, on top of it all, uh, the Blues have won three straight games going into San Jose tonight to take on a Sharks. Oh, three games in a row. No big deal. Three, right? three in a row. Three in a row. We love it. But, but you know, you got San Jose tonight, a team that, that you should, you know, theoretically beat. But one of the things before we maybe kind of talk about where the Blues are at now, I love to get your perspective on things like um, – so this is the start of a very long road trip for the Blues. I think four games, you guys are gone about a week and a half and get back right before Thanksgiving. You know, man, as a player, 
how do you how do you kind of approach this? How do you not think about all the turkey that you got in a week and a half? How do you not take for granted the three wins that you've got in a row? How do you kind of keep this train on tracks knowing that that West Coast trip is really difficult? So the easiest way to keep it on the rails is just going back to the beginning of training camp and remembering how freaking hard you've had to work to get the team to this point as yeah. a player. Yeah. Because last year, you know, they don't want to talk about last year, but last year was a disappointment to the club, the city, the fans, everything. And this team has worked their asses off to change this, like turn the ship around. And so that's all you have to do is continuously remind each other of why we're being successful. Why are we being successful? Well, because we're out-competing the other team right now. We're blocking more shots. We're hitting more bodies. We're playing more defense. We're back-checking harder. And you notice I didn't say one thing about scoring goals there, right? Yeah. Because that's not – if you start thinking about scoring goals at the top of the list, you're going to lose. Because all the other things I just described, those things have to happen automatically. And then you'll get the scoring chances. You'll create turnovers. You'll create offense. You get, but if you're not committed to playing for the team right now, then the team won't be successful. So that's how you keep it on, on the rails. And as far as the trip's concerned, this going to be a great trip. It's a great trip. The guys get to be together. Uh, last night, I saw you know, six or seven of them out for dinner. Um, and then I know in L.A. they're going to have a team dinner. They're going to do some things. And there's a day off uh, on Monday. Craig Ruby's giving them just a complete day off. I think some guys are going to go golfing. You know, so, like, again, Craig Berube gets it. He knows that you can't just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And when there's opportunities in your schedule to give a day, to let the guys kind of unwind a little bit, relax, do whatever, then you have to do it. And I think that that's why this, this road trip really shapes up to be a hell of a road trip. I mean, you've got San Jose. I'll just say it's a winnable game. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, but you got to be careful because if you go into that game cocky, it can nip you in the bud. Just ask the fill it. Just ask the uh, Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, Oof. and then you've got the LA game. That's going to be a tough game. Yeah, that t- that team plays really good. Uh, they play really hard. They're really good at home. So that's a tough one. And then you go the next day in Anaheim, where that team's been a bit of a surprise this year. A lot of young players that are playing pretty well. They, they're they're playing above expectations right now. And then you got Arizona, a team we're pretty darn familiar with. Yeah already this year, but again, it's a winnable game. So all of these games are winnable games, uh, whether you win them all or not. I mean, that's to be determined, but they're winnable games, which makes you feel pretty good because, you know, a week and a half to two weeks ago, I don't know if people would have thought, oh, these are winnable games. Right, right, right. There were still very much questions. What, what, Dude, I tell you what, one of the things that I have noticed the most in the last couple of games, just with my non-educated eyes, is like, Man, it seems like, as opposed to the beginning of the season, the the Blues are getting some really good looks and good scoring chances. It seems like they're shooting the puck a little bit. I mean, shooting the puck more. uh, But they're also getting good shots, so it's not like shots that are getting blocked and things. They just seem like they have kind of clicked into a different gear as far as the whole team play goes. And it seems like the last two weeks is when it's really started and came together because I think on Tuesday night against Tampa, they definitely didn't play their best game, but they still house those fools. So they're doing something, you know, really right right now. Well, it starts with the defensive structure and the forecheck. And if you look at a number of the games here recently, 
the Blues have been able to get on their toes and get in on the forecheck in the first couple of shifts. Set the tone, get in there, do some damage, get the puck down low. That backs the team up, makes them play on their heels a little bit. And then against Tampa, look, the Lightning came with a big wave in the first period. Yeah, They were fast, they're moving pucks, there's lots of you know, potential scoring opportunities. But the Blues played solid defensively. And when they left an opportunity, you had Jordan Bennington there. And Jordan Bennington is playing as good as I've ever seen him play in his career. And that's including the 2019 Cup run. I mean, his numbers right now rival the, the numbers that he had in that Cup run. So, for me, it's this team playing – well, recognizing that playing that solid defense is going to create turnovers. And watch these games recently, and even go back and think about it. The first handful of games, it felt like, well, this defensive system – they they can't create any offense because they're doing this defense thing. Look, if they're not scoring and this, that, and I just said, be patient, right? Be patient. They're going to figure this out. And they have now they know where they're able to create the turnovers. Now they know when to turn it up the ice. The defensemen are jumping on every single rush. Now you've got Krug, you've got Falk, you've got Parekli, you've got Letty that are up the ice all freaking night long with the rush. You have figured out that where you create the turnover turns into offense. And now you're turning and burning the other way, and you're getting a lot of opportunities, and you're finding the back of the net, and your power play is playing better, too. I mean, they so. just, they, they, it's just been a night, not, I don't want to say night and day, but like kind of a night and day sort of difference. But, but, but I also thought that at the beginning of the season, and I'm not trying to give myself too much credit, and I was definitely getting worried, but you know it takes a while for things to click when there's a new system in any sport. You know what I mean? That's just like logical that it's going to take a minute for it to click into place. But boy, oh boy, it sure looks like they have. Before I let you go here real quick, Jamie, how do you think the goalie situation breaks down for the road trip? Do you think, you know, does Hofer get one? Do they do two and two? How do you see this working? Um, Hofer definitely gets one. Yes. There's no doubt about it. I think that um, I think Hofer will get the Anaheim game, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know this for sure. Hofer might get tonight here Mm -hmm. in San Jose, too. That's what I was kind of wondering, if that would be a good start for him, you know? Well, it it is. but I will say it's a tough building to play in. There's the sight lines are different and the way that the stands are set up. Now it, it hasn't been sold out like it has in the past. Cause sure. I remember coming in here and it was like a damn jungle to play in this. If people were freaking hanging off the glass and it was, it was tough. Not a, not a jungle, but, Jamie, a shark tank. Come on, man. It, well, it was, it was, they were circling. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, so I, I think Bennington definitely gets the LA game. Um, I, I can't, I don't imagine you'd get Hofer, Anaheim and Arizona, just for the simple fact of back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think he gets the Anaheim game from there. I'm just not sure. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, Mr. Rivers, I believe that you have got a practice to get to, uh, or a, 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 what do you, yeah. Game day practice, game day scrimmage. What the hell they call this thing? Morning skate. Morning skate. Damn it. I knew that. I even I mean, you, eventually, you would have got there. I, I, I don't know if I would eventually got there. I think we would have been here for a long time, and you would have missed the team bus and then hated me for it, and we can't have that. Jamie, uh, thank you very much. We're going to do our best to catch you next week when you are on the road somewhere in this road trip, and we'll, uh, we'll chat it up uh, again before Thanksgiving. Sound good? 
You got it, brother. All right, Last Minute Blues Podcast for Jamie Rivers, Jeff Burton, it's Donnie Fandango. Thank you very much for listening, and let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.